Hey, Kodiak Shares! That's a reference to Alaskan wildlife that you will get in a minute, or if you look at the title of this episode. Anyway, just popping in up at the top with a couple of announcements. First of all, thank you to our listeners who support Arcade Audio on Patreon. We love you, and we just wanted to let you know that we've got some new bonus content headed your way. If you aren't a patron but want to be, head on over to patreon.com forward slash arcade audio and you will get access to those exclusive bonus episodes as well. Speaking of giving your money to people, we'd like to once again encourage you to donate your dollars to some amazing organizations that provide resources and support to black communities. One we'd like to highlight today is Brave Space Alliance, which is Chicago's first and I think only black-led, trans-led, LGBTQ center on Chicago's South Side. And or on the national stage, we'd recommend you give your support to the Okra Project. Thank you in advance for your generosity, and as always, thank you for tuning in. You may now commence learning and laughing. Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome, everyone, to Shared History. Live, laugh, history. Is the tag I went with today? Is uh, what I am gonna paint on a piece of shiplap wood and <laughs> put on my wall, <laughs> right next to coffee first and then the day. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, it's me, your host, Cass Maher, and me, that other host, Natalie Younger, and over there on the ones and twos, as always, it's our friend. DJ Rip. At this rate, we're gonna stock the entire home goods section of a TJ Maxx. Well, you know, we may as well because we have merch now. What a great time to mention we have merch now! Heck yeah! Look at that segue. Actually, this episode will air months after we've first had merch, but that's fine. We also have a very special guest. Uh, it is radio and TV personality, uh, and he he's a host of The Jam on CW26 and host for WGN Radio, uh, coming at you on the microphone. It's John Hansen. <laughs> hey, everybody. How are y'all doing? We're doing thanks. great. <coughs> yeah, here we are. And uh, thanks for having me on. I also like the ones and the twos and the DJ noises. That's exactly how real radio is, too. You guys are simulating it perfectly. We yeah, wanted yeah. you to feel at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it feels exactly like my talk radio segments. <laughs> That's how I start every show. Uh, I toss to the producer like that and the news guy. It's it, it's, it's exactly what you've seen on Every television. Everyone should live within a morning zoo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Rip, exactly. Rip is actually one of those like classic vaudevillian radio DJs where he's just got like car horns and all of these like slide whistles in front of him. Yeah. He hasn't right, used right. any of them, but they're there. Right. I actually go by Chaz Hambone on WGN Radio, so <laughs> if you didn't recognize John Hansen, that's why. It's Chaz uh, Hambone with your afternoon draft out of GN, yeah. Ooh. No, it's so cool to be here. I I am very excited because I love the show, and I love history, and I love talking about it endlessly. 
uh, which you guys have mastered. Not endlessly, but you know what I'm saying. But you guys can talk for a while about cool stories. And it just this is really cool. Thanks for having me. If you sometimes can talk endlessly, talk- that's great. Because, yeah, sometimes Natalie and I talk for too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that we don't talk endlessly about history so much as we do about, you know, the catalog of Andrew Lloyd Webber, the filmography mm. of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, we, mm. we tend to have... Um, I mean, we go off on tangents all the time, but are they tangents if they're the roads we travel down all the time? Mm, That's, they're still tangents, Yeah, there I we see go. where you're getting at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see where you're driving, yeah. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad that John fact-checked that for us. They yes. are, in fact... <laughs> They are, in fact, yeah. still tangents. Well, I'm mm. I'm super excited to have you, John, because when we were um, setting up via our Zoom sesh, uh, John pulled out some primary sources in a fancy folder, and I can't wait to dig into those. Yes. Yeah, well, so my story, which we'll get into in a moment, is, uh, is, is very specific. I love when I find a part of history that I really like and then say, I need to find something about that that no one else has. And the way you do that is find old dissertation or find the reference of a Wikipedia article and then search that reference, right? Like the broad strokes of Wikipedia are great. They're a source for everyone. It's wonderful. And usually it's really accurate, of course, as we know, but you find the reference. And then that's what I did to uh, dig through this story that I'll tell you guys, which I'm excited Historical about. Historical sleuthing. I love it. You well, I was the kid in college. I liked going to the microfiche uh, place. <gasps> Back in the day when you'd scroll original newspapers and I would just love reading what people actually wrote then and what the advertisements looked like at that point. Just to really like get a sense for it. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, Chaz Hamboning it on the radio, <laughs> I would be a history professor, without a doubt. You'd just be in the so. basement of some library going through microfiche. <laughs> yes, that would be it. And they'd be like, you need to leave, sir. The library has closed. And I'd be like, this is my home. Just slowly and turning into the alternative like history. a library golem. It's like, yes. precious. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've been reading so Lord of the So do I Rings. just start? I mean, what do you guys want me to do? Just I roll mean, right in? R- r- I'll say this. Uh, one of my favorite jam bands is Microfiche. They're... <laughs> They're, they're all tiny, but man, they can go on for hours. Rip, yeah. Rip mm. followed them around the country for days once. Have yeah. you guys ever? If you guys ever uh, tune in to Chaz Hambone in the morning, sometimes he drops yes. a, a new single by Microfiche, and it is Chef's Kiss. <laughs> right, and I curse incredibly when uh, when I sing along to the songs, as I used to when you used to have to try and get the film between the two pieces of glass. Like Microfiche is great, but the internet is categorically better. I will say <laughs> so, but it is. It is. I, I digress. Well, you've already teased us yes. with yes. the primary source, and really, so that's all it takes. Tickled. Yeah, that's yeah. all it takes to get us going. So, <laughs> I've also I've also named my story. Is that weird? Is that oh okay? my god? That's no, amazing. I, love it. I have named it, and you are about to hear the story of trade, treachery, and murder. <gasps> on, on the Yukon River. No, Ooh. Natalie, we don't Which have to is... come up with a title now. No, we don't have to name this episode. (laughs) Right. So I'll just jump right in, guys. Uh, Do you guys know much about the history of Alaska at all or no? No. Right? Like, I know it's big and I know it's up there and I'm interested in it. And I know it's one of the newer states. But so Russia, uh, Russia owned Alaska from pretty much the 18th century through uh, part of the 19th century, so the 1700s. And they had a presence there for a long time, uh, but not a lot of Russians ever moved there. It's it's hard to get to. It's surprisingly the peninsula that juts out pretty close to Alaska 
is like 65 miles off the coast of, of uh, Siberia. So they are actually pretty close. So when Sarah Palin said, <laughs> I can see Russia, she wasn't that far off, even though she was completely ridiculed for it. So You can see um, it, you just can't get to it. Right. You, and it was a, exceedingly more difficult in the 1700s and the 1800s. Anyways, uh, as there was Americans that would go up there, they'd venture, they'd be fur trading up there. Um, but basically everyone stuck to the islands or to the southern coast of it. Very few people tried to go to the interior of Alaska. Anyways, there had been talk about the Americans buying Alaska for a long time, and then the Civil War got in the way. But afterwards, U.S. Secretary of State William Seward entered negotiations, and eventually they bought the entire state of Alaska for $7.2 million, two cents an acre. Alaska is gigantic. I mean, it's two yeah. Texases. Wait. It's... Two cents an acre, and it was seven million. Seven point two million dollars. Yes, that's a lot of math. It's a, it sure Damn. is. I also don't know what seven point two million dollars is in today's dollars. I forgot to do that conversion. It's a note on my page to have done it before it. So I mean, it's a, it's it just was. It's a fair amount of money at that time, but it was a steal. What, and there's this what, narrative that go what ahead. year? What year are we in? 1867. Mm, good year. So there's this narrative that they call it Seward, who was the, the Secretary of State at the time. They call it Seward's Folly. There's this misinterpretation that actually everyone hated the purchase of Alaska. When most newspapers show that actually everyone thought it was a really smart idea. It was a good deal. There were some trading opportunities out there. Experts thought it'd be a wonderful trading vessel to East Asia. And people, especially in the West Coast, San Francisco, which had gone through this gold rush, were looking at how to expand the United States further. And uh, Alaska was that answer. But there was no one there. I mean, like, there really was so few people there. And to get a scope of how big Alaska is, it is 750 miles by 750 miles squared. So basically, from here to Washington, D.C., would be one side of Alaska. It's it kind of impossible to uh, to look at how big it is, but oh my god, I went I went to Washington State in my mind, and I was like, whoa. Right. <laughs> well, from the, the islands, the Aleutia Islands stretch so far out into the Pacific from one end of Alaska to the other, it is the distance from Chicago to San Francisco. Oh I mean, god. it's crazy how parts how big this is, and how few people had ventured into the actual interior of Alaska. I will say, I just looked it up. Uh, It's $125 million uh, in 2020 dollar dollar bills. Still pretty cheap. Like, there's a lot of people that could buy that, right? Yeah. And if you can buy double the size of Texas, that's that's pretty good. Um, So, the story is not just about that. It's about uh, two people. James Monroe being, really three people. James Monroe being his wife, and his kids. So I'll just back up a little bit. James Monroe Bean, born on the East Coast in the 1820s. He'd spent some time as a wandering soul on the West Coast. He actually ventured up to Alaska in the 1850s while it was still under Russian control. He fought then in the Civil War. So he's kind of a... He's been around. He's He's been around, right? He's done some things. He had a wife. He had a couple kids. They lived up in Alaska. He had some business happenings in San Francisco. So he's a traveled man. But in 1872, he decides that he has to visit some cousins and some friends. And he ends up in Ottawa, Illinois, which is not too far away from Chicago. So we got a Chicago connection to this, too. Uh, And he meets a young lady by the name of Genevieve Sudam who is 24 years old. He's already married, keep in mind, but they have an immediate connection. 
but they vow that they're going to keep in touch because he lives in that's long distance, like yeah. right? That's long distance that's in now fun. time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, let alone back then. And he's married. So Genevieve is young. She had been born in the 1840s. Had a bunch of sisters and brothers in New York. She's actually. Uh, a direct descendant of the first person born at Plymouth Rock. So she has these Ooh. strong pilgrim ties in the United States. Um, anyway, so James Monroe Bean makes his way back to Alaska where he finds out that his first wife is dead. He had never found out. He never got a letter about it. He shows up and she had died a couple weeks before he got it back. Get, it got lost in the mail. It, like... He just, he came back. She's like, where's my wife? They're like, we buried her. She's dead. It's like, oh, that's Genevieve. incredibly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Cassidy, or excuse me, Cass, you are correct. <laughs> just warned me to make sure to call you Cass and not Cassidy. Oh, yeah. I we're literally on... messed it up 10 seconds. In. Um, dear readers, we're on a Zoom call in my, under my yes. um, picture, it says Cassidy, but I don't know. That's, Cassidy. That's a lie. Nobody knows who that is. Yeah. yeah, strike all this out, Rip. Uh, this is the nice thing about not being live. Anyways, yes. He's, I'm sure, heartbroken or whatever, but you're right. He's like, I'm going back for Genevieve. So he goes back to Illinois, to Ottawa, in September of 1873. They hang out for like four weeks. They get married. And he's like, well, we're going back. So he oh, no. and his wife, who is from New York and Chicago. So she knows Cole. <laughs> right. Yes, she gets the cold. I don't know. I don't know if that's really what she signed up for, though. Tundra's she... different. Can you imagine? Right, he... Can you imagine starting this affair and being like, "Oh no, it's fine. Like I love him, but he's gonna have to go back to Alaska." So it's like a nice <laughs> right. little, and he's married. It's like it's like a camp fling. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so you're like, yeah, right. I totally love Billy, and like we would be so serious if we didn't live across the country from each other and he wasn't married. <laughs> Easy closure. Exactly. And he's a fur trader and uh, probably a little bit crazy because who goes back and forth to Alaska so many darn times <laughs> in their life. So uh, she knows that this is going to be what their, their life and they go to San Francisco, they establish a business a little bit or continue his business and then they decide <laughs> that we're going up to Alaska there's a lot of money to be made up there if we do it right. He had had previous relationships up there. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go be a fur trader in Alaska. You're coming with me. He'd had and previous the... relationships up there, indeed. <laughs> right, his kids are still up there, I think. And oh. he's, like, he's like, probably like, we got to go see my children at some point. So, um, But it, what the reason why we know all this and what's so crazy fun about this story is that her diary survives to this day. <gasps> And we have the firsthand accounts of five years, not every single day, but almost every single day, of what this pioneer woman did on her trips to Alaska. Oh my, you, a woman from New York, Chicago, and goes to Alaska. You know, yeah, this, people don't diary like they used to. Speak right. for yourself, we, we, Cass. But I mean, it's like a lost <laughs> art. And like now it's like, in like, you know, 100 years from now, I'll be like, oh, we have... Uh, Cass's Facebook diary of what she did every day. It's like, eh, that's not the same. Um, So it's a crazy diary. It is, it starts on a boat, right? Like, because she's like, she writes a letter to her mother uh, in San Francisco and basically is like, by the by, this is the last time you're going to hear from me for like a year. 
right? Like we have this journey up. The post takes forever to go back and forth. Please write a lot. I don't know if I'm going to get any of them, but please do. So she starts this letter, my darling mother. It's very late. I must write to you and say goodbye. We leave tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. I've been so busy. I haven't had time. She leaves an address of a post in like St. Michael, Alaska, where they're going to be. And then she starts her journey. We left San Francisco after some delay on Friday, April 17th. This is the year 1875. She's been seasick for 10 days, she says. The 11th day, we're halfway there. I've not enjoyed myself. She goes on to say, like, things get a little bit smoother. I played cribbage against the other men on the ship. I played the captain in cribbage for three straight days and beat him every time. So she's trying to make it work. She talks about her trials, her tribulations, about the journey there. I mean, we're talking about a many-month journey to a land she's never been. And they're going in the summer at a point where as far north as they're going, the sun doesn't set till about midnight, and it rises at one in the morning. So it's this crazy world. So they start on the southern parts of Alaska, and they uh, eventually have to trek further and further north. And each entry in her diary gets crazier and crazier, the stories that she is. And she soon realizes that she is the first American woman to enter the interior of Alaska. There's so few people up there. No one had gone this far, and it had only been men. James Monroe Bean was the first person to bring his wife into the interior of Alaska. So not the islands on the bottom where his first wife was and still is, um, and the kids. So it's crazy. Now, I want to preface this as I read her diary. I hope I don't slip up some words. So she uses the term Indians, which, of course, we now know we shouldn't use. She's referring to Native Alaskans. And she talks about how she's the first white woman. But you could argue that there were Russians at the time that were there. So I'm going to say first American uh, there. And I'll try and do it. If I slip up anywhere and say something I'm not supposed to, it was the diary's fault, not mine. It's Genevieve's. So anyways, she's there for, our, uh, they're there for years. They go back to San Francisco at one point for like a few months. And uh, she talked about maybe trying to escape back to, to, to Illinois, but she sticks with her husband and she goes up there. So here's where she becomes, for lack of a better term, the most badass pioneer woman ever. Because trading gets Hell tougher yeah. and tougher. There's like a monopoly on the trade. And I could go into all this sort of stuff that's all covered in this first source material as I have. Um, but basically, there was one company that ran all the rules, and this guy had a contract. Uh, James Monroe Bean had a contract to be the fur trader of these certain parts of the river, and he went there, and they were like, yeah, yeah, no, we don't care. And he's like, I have a piece of paper. They're like, we don't care. So he had to negotiate. He had to work with Native Alaskans, with Russians that were still there as they were deciding where they were going to stay. Because at the time, it, you could stay in, the Russians could stay in Alaska, then they'd become American citizens. There was like a grace period where you figured it out. Um, anyways, they get to the part. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, they're probably like, you have a piece of paper <coughs> from somebody many 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 miles away we yes. are in the interior of alaska it's wild yeah. wild west baby no rules it's like no. bringing your hall pass to like the gorilla enclosure at brookfield zoo <laughs> and being like I, I have a pass it's exactly like great that. cool in fact that's in her diary too they treated us <laughs> like we were at the zoo um okay so I, and again, I, you, you, I'll be able to. I'll share with you guys how where you can read all this information. But in 1876, they have to go further into the interior of Alaska. They have to go up the Yukon 900 miles north to where they're going to settle now. So it's her 
her husband, and a few native Alaskans helping them in canoes upstream for 900 miles. No. She writes, all the camps she stays in, this journey takes 35 days. They stayed in 25 different camps where they just would light a fire. Camp number two, Kotlik, arrived here in the morning, 10 o'clock, trying to dry the bedarka, which is a uh, canoe with the animal skin on it. They couldn't do it. The wind helped dry the, the wind would be good for drying the canoes, so they'd have to dry them out, but it'd be terrible for trying to travel up there. Camp, camp, camp. She's, all these camps, this is terrible. We don't have good wind. I've had to row all day. We're making little progress. The current was so strong, it was so hard to pull against. This is 35 days of this. This cruise sounds terrible. (laughs) Do not sign me up. (laughs) Right. On August 21st, 1876, they get settled in. On the 24th, she writes in her diary, Oh, I had the baby today. What? Wait, what? She was nine months pregnant on this journey and never mentioned this in her diary. The weather was and so bad, she couldn't even complain about being <laughs> pregnant. Oh my, you know, oh, my feet are swollen. I've got morning sickness. It's like, no, the canoes are wet. We're freezing. <laughs> and, and this is also a woman that writes pages and pages some days, but on Tuesday, August 24th, our baby was born this morning, four o'clock. He weighs seven pounds and a half. Okay, that's it. That's it for a couple days. I mean, granted, she's got a lot of other things to worry about. She feels badly. The baby feels badly sometimes. They have a one-bedroom house with, like, rugs on the floor. It's still August. The baby gets sick. And she says, his mouth is terribly sore. He must suffer a great deal. He cries most pitifully. He has uh, white spots all over his tongue. I don't know what to do for him. There's a native uh, woman named Rosie who I've had helping me started washing my clothes. She didn't know what day of the week it was. She didn't know how to help him either. I mean, it's just insane that she's up there trying to make fires, trying to sew as her husband is starting this business and the baby is sick. The baby's starting to get better. I was frightened nearly to death today. James Monroe almost got shot by a local native Alaskan, but the bullet went through his hat. All this crazy stuff is happening. Wait, hold on. Did she, does she call her husband James Monroe? She calls her husband Mr. Bean. <laughs> her husband ah! was twice as old as she was. <gasps> oh my god. No. So you... she called him Mr. Bean in all the entries. I hadn't gotten to that part yet. But yeah, she calls him Mr. Bean got hurt or poor James or she'll say James Monroe, but usually Mr. Bean. I think Mr. Bean is something else. Right. It's, <laughs> it's so these People are now in literally the center north part of Alaska. And if you get out your map, they're at the Arctic Circle, essentially. And they set up a trading post. They get up this relationship with some of the native Alaskans that live there. They become very fond of the family, and there's some reciprocation as well. They have a little boy whose name is Elbridge, but they name him Ellie. Is that what his nickname is? I can't imagine raising a child in normal circumstances, let alone whatever. And she talks about how she would make trades. Her husband would go to make deals and and leave for 21, 30 days. And she'd have no idea when he was coming back. She'd hear rumors about where he was. I wanted to just skip ahead in her diary a couple years, if I can. Um, and it's my story. I guess I get to control and do whatever the you heck do, I want to do. It's like mis- Skipping ahead, she just is entering this diary. They're not back yet. 
the Indians, you said the native Alaskans, they went uh, with Mr. Bean. They've not getting back. <laughs> How worried I am about him. This is June 19th. June 24th, some of the other native Alaskans in the area now tell her that he's dead. And she's like, I don't know. I'm tired to death of hearing this. There's great excitement that apparently they've killed my husband. Uh, the baby is sick. I'm sewing all these curtains because this is getting ready for the fall. You know, busy with my sewing. What a long Sunday. Haven't heard back. Now we're in July and still hasn't heard anything back. Nothing on July 10th. How lonely I am. Why doesn't Mr. Bean come? I'm afraid he's ill. I'm restless. July 14th. I can't figure out where he is. She writes on July 15th. Why am I not crazy? God only knows. This afternoon, a bunch of Indians, she says, came here. And the first thing they said was that he was dead. Uh, she writes about how she'll never know. No sign of anyone coming. We're getting towards August. Oh, my God. And she's got a one-year-old at home, and it's starting to snow. And she is trying to continue some of his business. And guess what? July 28th, she just writes, Mr. Bean came home about noon today. Dude was gone for five weeks. No idea if he's there or not he had gone through some treacherous journey he lost his canoe all this crazy stuff and it just shows up today and she's like okay well we're back i mean it's it's unfathomable how different this life is also like miss 24 year old thing real cute living it up in chicago like oh i met an older guy cut to just like harrowing journeys through the <laughs> arctic circle like if she could like skip ahead and see what was gonna happen she'd be like nah <laughs> this this bean ain't worth it. Yeah. Well, she they get to the point where it's going to be their last year. He's set up enough business. He's raised enough money or done whatever he wanted to do in those three or four years. And he decides that they're going to be coming back. So they're spending their final year there. We do also have letters that she would write back to her family. Every year or so, like literally every year, she'd be able to write a letter back. And some of those letters talk about how long it had been since she had last heard from them. Um, as we skip ahead, here's a letter that she uh, wrote her mom, a sassy one. My dear mother, Mr. Bean arrived home from St. Michael, which is another town nearby. And he only brought one letter from you and one from Auntie. I can't imagine why you would not write me if you were alive and living. Neither can why I imagine you stint me in such a manner. I expect to get many more letters. I think my friends and relatives have neglected me shamefully, and I am mad. And that was her letter for the year. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> what? How, what is this life? And so her mom was got the letter, like, sorry, like, what? I don't know. I'm, it's just so weird to imagine having no idea. What has happened to your friends, to your family, if they're even getting your letter? She writes about that a lot. Like, all the while living as... in like a probably little shitty hut and like bare necessities. Yeah. Ugh. Literally, yeah. It it's crazy. So we skip ahead a little bit to 1878, and on Saturday, May 18th, Genevieve uh, writes a letter to her mother. I'm sitting in my tent tonight writing you for the last time in this country. By this time next year, I hope to be preparing to go back to the southern parts of Alaska and back home. The ice is now running in the river. In two or three days more, we'll be on our journey up the river. We're having pleasant weather now. We have one more stop we have to make before we come on home. Uh, Mr. Bean and Ellie, they're lying in bed. Monroe says to tell you that he's coming to see you when he gets back to have some of your yellow-legged chickens. Ellie is getting to be a tall boy. He's five years old. Your ever-living, loving daughter, Jenny, or she went by. And that's the last letter she'll ever write. <gasps> the rest of the story we know from what Mr. Bean has written and had to write 
to her family. On September 10th, so just a few days after that letter, everything was in readiness for the approaching winter, although the weather was still warm. We had hired two, he says Indian men, but as again, I warned, native Alaskans, uh, having finished all their work, had gone on a trip to hunt moose. There were others around, and uh, but for the most part, it was just us. On this day, particular day, two strange young men, who ages must have been between 20 and 25 years old, came to the house with some ducks and dried meat to sell. Genevieve thought I did not pay them enough, so she herself gave them a few extra dollars. So, first of all, Genevieve's awesome. She's like, hey, tip a little bit more to yeah. these guys. You 20%, come on. It was custom back then a lot for the natives to maybe spend the night in the house because they had shelter, you know, like during this trading thing. It was a pretty regular thing. So they asked to spend the night, but Mr. Rubin explained to them that he never let them spend the nights. He never would let native Alaskans spend the night, but he had a shed that they could spend the night in. So they do that. Uh, we closed up our houses as usual. As I go back to the letter, they retired. Uh, I heard them walking around the house after I had gone to bed, but thought nothing of it, as uh, a lot of times they would go to bed late. In the morning, we woke up as usual. Uh, so he goes on to say that they were sitting down for breakfast. We had just sat down for breakfast and had our heads down eating when I heard a gun explode. I looked up quickly but saw no one. The first thought that came to mind was that one of the men had accidentally discharged his gun and he'd come rushing into the house and explain. It could not have been more than a few seconds from the time the gun exploded until I saw a man jump by the door with a gun and pointing directly at me. As soon as I saw him jump for the gun and not until then did I realize that we were under attack. Not for a moment. I had taken my dogs at the doorway. I was taken by surprise. I could scarcely move. But the Indian man brought his gun up to level with my breast. I started walking backwards to the room where the rifle was. The man followed me with his gun. He tried to fire, but he had forgotten to cock the gun. It's the only thing that saved my life and saved the life of young Ellie. The man ran away. Not until I re-entered the kitchen did I realize that my darling Genevieve had been shot. Oh, no. The Indians had thrust the gun, again, the, uh, the, the man must have thrust his gun around the casing of the door right up against her back. So they were sitting down for breakfast. He saw nothing, and there was a door to Genevieve's back, and the gun went right up to her and shot her point blank in the chest. Ooh. She had blood all over the floor. It was a horrible moment. I went crazy for some time. All I could do was run around with my rifle and try and find the men, but they were gone. So... His wife is dead. He's got his five-year-old son, and they want, they are, you know, 900 miles north of the nearest town. 900 miles north of the nearest town of other people. And is, other... There, is there only way to get around, like, walking and canoeing? Yep. That's it. Oh, my. They don't have, so, like, horses or anything? No. I mean, not up there. I right. can't imagine that, that oh, you could yeah. do I mean, it's heavily wooded. They're yeah. at the, you know, they're so far gone from everything. Oh, so, my God. He puts his wife's body... In a canoe, and his five-year-old son, and they start making their way down the Yukon with her body because they can't bury her that far north because the permafrost has even in September. This is September eleventh, eighteen seventy-eight. You can't dig in Alaska then. At one point, the canoe tips over. No. He talks about this. Her body fell so. He says it happened to the water not very deep where the uh, where he fell out. I couldn't bear there. Sorry. He said. Um, da, 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 da. The canoe was really only large enough for one person. I put Ellie in the canoe, started out, but in turning around, we upset. We turned over. Uh, it happened that the water was not very deep where I was. 
Uh, the, where Ellie was, the water was bottomless. I couldn't find him. Finally, I discovered Ellie, his five-year-old son, floating head down no. 20 feet from shore. His light-skinned coat kept him from sinking. He had a coat on that kept him. <gasps> Although I cannot swim, or at least never knew how I managed to reach him and bring him safely to shore. Got that so, dad adrenaline. <laughs> you you're, believe it. You're living in the interior of Alaska where your only means of transportation is a canoe and walking mm-hmm. and you don't learn how to swim. Right. <laughs> That's a very fair point. Come on, also, dude. for all I would have given up my life the moment we were like on the like that seasick for ten days at the beginning of her diary. That would be it. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm over that at that point, let alone all these trials and tribulations. And bringing a five-year-old... I mean, at one point, you just go, all right, life has... I shouldn't be around anymore. <laughs> not worth clearly, it. But <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, yeah, this is geez. not worth it. So, they get him back in. They go down to a town of about 900 miles south. They bury Genevieve there, where she is still buried. And Ellie, the five-year-old, and James Monroe, obviously heartbroken. They stay the winter in Alaska. James then puts... Ellie on a train. They go back to San Francisco the next year, 1880. And Ellie is six years old. And James Monroe says, I can't take care of you, but your mother's mom in Ottawa, Illinois can. Well, because how old is is Mr. Bean right now? He's probably in his young 50s at this point, I'd say. 53, mm. 54. Which is pretty old for that. It's pretty old for that time, having a little six-year-old boy that you're expecting your wife to just raise. Right. Well, you've already abandoned two other children, apparently. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, where and, did they go? <laughs> yeah, right. They're, they're, right. So little Ellie is put on a train, and he is sent back to Ottawa, Illinois, to live with his grandmother, uh, James Monroe. You know, that's his second wife lost. He ended up losing most of his money. He died in debt in Missoula, Montana, eight years later in 1888. But little Ellie grew up in the Chicago suburbs. He got married. He had nine kids. And Alaska became a state in January of 1959. And Ellie, who was the first American boy, first American of any boy or girl, born in the interior of Alaska, died just days after it became a state at the age of 83. He left behind his kids, many grandkids, including a six-year-old girl named Marsha, who is my mom. (gasps) Twists and turns. What? This is the story of my great great grandmother Genevieve, <gasps> my great grandfather Ellie, and their journey uh, to Chicago, and how I wouldn't be here if that Native Alaskan hadn't miscocked <gasps> the gun yeah. to fire oh it at my great great grandfather, and he rescued Ellie, who had been turned over in the canoe. Floating upside down the river and uh, sent alone. And that's the story of my mom's side of the family. Wait, so these primary sources are like actual family heirlooms. Like you just own those. This paper from Northwestern was written by my uh, one of my second cousins <gasps> for a paper he wrote in 1966. I have the actual diary uh, that has, is all yellowed and everything now. <gasps> Wait. And we are Wait. insanely Wait. lucky to have... <laughs> The history of our We're not our sharing ancestors. history. We're living history. Oh my god. <laughs> Cass and I are losing it. <laughs> we look like we look like two Muppets. <laughs> I wish you could see us. Oh my god. Listeners, this 
my mind has been blown. I was excited that you had primary resources. I didn't know that this was like, da 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 da, it's me. <gasps> I yeah, love the a, reveal. I love a reveal. Like, I don't know how you, the self control that took. Because you were kind of making hints of like, uh, if this is the only reason she didn't get shot or. Yes. Yeah. <gasps> oh my God. Gotta tee it up. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy story that we've been told, and so my one one of his one of Ellie's daughters, Jenna, who was named Genevieve after his mother, had compiled all of this research and had written a novel. And while she was looking to get it published, she died. This is in the forties or fifties. So, um, but she had compiled all this, and so I the what I'm reading from you the diary is from the actual diary. She transcribed it all on typewriter. We have the scan copies. We have the actual diary too, um, and then the paper was compiled as a term paper uh, at Northwestern University in the '60s by one of his grandchildren. And so, what's crazy about Genevieve is that she has a direct tie to the first person born on the East Coast of the United States. First. American, you could say, obviously was a pilgrim, first uh, European born. Uh, and then she gave birth to the first American at the far west, northwest part of the United they States. They going coast to coast, baby. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's a crazy story. It's one of the, I think everyone's got something like that somewhere in their history. And the, the lucky thing is, we actually know it. Because there's so many people that probably have something like that, like a butterfly effect, turn of the... R- wrong gun yeah. pointed the wrong way. Oh my god, you guys, the opening tag, live, laugh, history. It's like, we're living it. <laughs> it's so we're perfect. It. This is bonkers. I'm so when, like, glad you guys enjoyed it. I was hoping the reveal would be good. Uh, so. uh, <laughs> it was when, so so when we when we invited you to be on the podcast, like other folks have been like, it was so hard to decide what story to tell. And you probably were like, nah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's interesting because I didn't know at first, and then I had last year kind of been looking into this even deeper. My parents had finally given it, and it was it was the pressure was on when I was like, I really got to send them something. I was like, Oh my god, duh! It's the story of my own family, and uh, on that side. But I even have like, you know, what's crazy about it is when my uh, second cousin, he's like my great uncle's. Son, I don't know, you know how the yeah, yeah. connections get. Anyways, when he wrote this. They, he talked to some people in Alaska. Her grave mark is still there. There is a book that has a picture of it when another advent, uh, when another voyage or, you know, crew went up to look. They took a picture of a gravestone. They had no idea what it was, but they, it says, you know, like, uh, I could pull up the exact what it says, but it basically says, here lies the body of Genevieve Bean. She was murdered in September 11th, 1878. They even think, I mean, this is how remote it is. When this book was written in 1966 or the, the paper, the house was still there that she was murdered in that had been built in some 95 years earlier because it's still this remote. There is no one that goes up there. There's like yeah. a little town of like 130 people uh, that is mainly uh, still people that are descendants of the, of, the, of the tribe that still lives there, that still is part of it. And that's it. I mean, it's a little... So like I want to, if ever I could... We know almost exactly where this cabin is. Oh we God. have the maps. We have the things. I want to see if it's still there. I want to see if this gravestone is still there. Okay, if you do that, can we... Because this just... It just reeks of National Treasure Part 3 or Part 4, <laughs> whatever one they're on. I just feel like 
we need to follow you. We need to call Nick Cage. Be like, the secret lies with Charlotte. Like, we've got all the clues. Yes. <gasps> well, if you can get Nicolas Cage on board, I am totally in. All right. Hey, but... Rip, you want to get on that right now? You want to call yeah. Nick's yeah. people? I would say I would say that Nick Cage could bankroll the trip, but he can't. Right. Uh, he spent it all on wigs. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, anyways, thanks for enjoying that oh story. My, well, oh, so, my God. Natalie, it just... The whole time you were, John, you were going through your story, you're like... It, it felt like a first-person narrative, like you're reading the diaries, and it just reminded me of Fanny Pemberton, Natalie, this pretend character we made up that anytime Natalie tells a story, she's like, the year is 1723. I was like, wow, it's like you're really there. But you were Fanny Pemberton for real. Yeah. I can, I'm sorry, I cannot get over this right now. I am just... I- I'm I have a it. I have a burning question though. Yeah. Um. So Ellie was sent back to Illinois. Mm-hmm. Was he sent to? Was it was it her mother? Was her mother the one who she had sassed in the mail? Yes. yes. So did Ellie hold a grudge when he came back? <laughs> I don't know for sure. Really, Grandma? Gonna... One letter. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, but, you know, it's interesting because my dad, who this is not his side of the family, my dad's really into genealogy, he has found the the descendants of the two kids that uh, James Monroe uh, left and never didn't really talk to anymore. We don't really know much of. And so he's been able to find and connect certain people and cousins that never knew that they were related through half, like half, half their blood is the same. So... Um, it's it's crazy, and it's what's amazing, and we're so lucky is that even my uh, my uh, we just have a very trackable history, which is we're very blessed to have that. We're privileged to be able to have that, of course. Then that comes with a lot of privilege along the way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to track your family's history, um, but we actually can track my mother's father's side. Uh, all the way back to Scotland in the 13th century. Because once you get to an old church, you have got it. Because they keep diligent yeah. records. So we're uh, we're lucky. But that's probably the coolest story of the bunch. Well, you might have to find, like, I don't know, like a Highland story and come back or something. Because I would yes. love that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah come I back will... and still somehow fool us and like <laughs> pull the reveal at the end. And we'll Natalie, be equally do you think it's going to be about away. him? No, I doubt it. But it's set in Scotland. Right. No, I'm sure it's not about him. Well, cool. Have yeah, you? I need to. I need to do another a movie of it or something at some point. Oh yeah, it's It'll a be cool like story. An and I, I mean, like I left off most of the. Di- I mean, obviously, the diary is it's so extensive. Yeah. And and there's so much backstabbing along the way, <gasps> and that's what's so good about. Yeah, like the 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 com- the Alaska company. Like as I kind of mentioned, they sort of screwed my great great grandfather over. But there was bounties put on his head at some point. That's why they kept on moving further and further into Alaska oh. to find different places. And there is in one book, there's very few mentions of this story, but there are a few. There is some hypothesis. Someone has said that James Monroe killed Genevieve <gasps> and blamed it on Native Alaskans. Okay, I was going to say, not that I think he did it or anything, but like... Right. It was so detailed where he was like, I slowly backed up. And I was like, oh, my God. It was like, it's like he's writing it as he did it. So I would believe it if her diary is very loving of him, which probably wasn't very usual, right? Yeah. And that they had this really affectionate yeah. relationship and the way he would take care of yeah. 
his son. I mean, like, I don't know. I, it, it adds intrigue. And even in the book, I forget you one, and it's like History of the Yukon, yeah. 1866 to whatever. They say that that rumor was dispelled and that they that the tribe actually knew who mm-hmm. killed Genevieve because they liked the family. Yeah. They liked the bean. It just adds, um, yeah, the intrigue and the, the story of it all. The oh, yeah. Was... When I pitch, if I ever pitch it to National Geographic, I will be like, my great-great-grandfather probably killed Oh, yeah, you got it. You got it. Like, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a cover-up. Please put me on TV. This is, the, this is the Ryan Murphy version of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, John, have you ever been to Alaska? Never been to Alaska. No, we've been to Northern Ontario a bunch, which mm-hmm. is still thousands of miles away but our whole family loves the rugged spirit we go fishing in the north woods and all this crazy stuff i don't know if there's some track down to that but i really want to go on a float plane which is the only way really to get there unless because i'm not canoeing no, <laughs> no, i'm, not, say, you're not, I'm gonna... not like recreating the journey i'm doing it in <laughs> That's my a different own way. wow wow how how weak and pitiful of you oh. if you were really committed if you were yes, really I would get Genevieve's. nine months pregnant and row for <laughs> 35 days. You know, I would put a sack of flour over my shirt. And, you know, when, that's insane. When the technology is available, I will get pregnant and yes. canoe up there. <laughs> right. You I'm would solve, actually, we'd solve me and my husband's, uh, you know, d- problems anyways, because we want to, you know, that yeah. would solve a oh, lot yeah. of things. I'd be able to recreate that journey <laughs> and we'd have a kid. Easy peasy. Right. Let's do it. <laughs> The movie Junior in the year 2020. Oh, my God. Don't tease. I need that now. I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie so much. You oh, know man. what's wild is, okay, so as you were telling this story, and what's funny is my my sister listens to this podcast, and so I very much hope does that she? she knows what I'm thinking about. She does. <laughs> uh, that she knows what I'm thinking about, because you were telling this story, and I was, like, having, like, like an input issue where I was like, I've heard this before. I've heard this story before. I've heard something like very similar to this before. And I couldn't remember if it was like from something else that I have like researched that's like in uh, colonial or pioneer times. It just also has a very similar story. Have It has a story of like woman with newborn baby in mm-hmm. some frontier wondering where the hell her husband is. Right. Uh, and he, because he's disappeared for days, and everyone telling her that she's that he's dead. And in my brain, I'm like, is this from something that I researched? Is this from, um, oh crap, what's that? Uh, what was? It, is it the John Adams miniseries? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start going through Any poor classes. woman from before 1890 when her husband would leave four <laughs> months at a time? Yeah. Well, but there, but like, I had like this visual in my head, and then I, when you started, now I'm wondering if, now I'm wondering if they kind of tell part of this story on the White Pass Railroad tours mm. in the Yukon Territory. Because like I've, in Disney World? No, no, like oh. in Alaska. <laughs> on the Matterhorn. Oh, okay. I was like on like a ride. Is is Genevieve like an animatronic character on some <laughs> log ride? Because if so, um, oh. I want royalties for that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And look you at Ellie them. floating down the river. No, the canoe no. has oh, overturned. No. Oh, I and hope her, that's not Genevieve's the bit they body's like sparking. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this is not. Is there a too soon for a murder story? Yeah, I don't know. I think eighteen seventy eight is. It's been. Yeah. Oh been yeah, we're enough. good. We passed the. What is the time plus yeah. tragedies? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're good. Uh, but yeah, no, because I was like in my head, just like my. I don't know. 
I don't know. Uh, there's also that Netflix series that uh, takes place. Oh, it's a, there's a bandit, and uh, Jeff Bridges is there. <laughs> no, wait. No, not Jeff Bridges. Natalie, no, you're spiraling. <laughs> I really am. Um, Basically, I'm going to scour every streaming service and sue a lot of people is what yeah. you're yeah. our yeah. story. Or our just like, story. or Kathleen, just like email in or just text what the story is yeah, if you know what us. it is that Natalie's talking about. Uh, Natalie, it's well, not she Balto, went, is it? It's It might be Balto. <laughs> is this the story of Balto? I think it might be. We have a long um, Balto bit. <laughs> Oh, gosh darn it, I'm just going to scooch on right past you and drop this ad. Today's episode is sponsored by Raygun, Midwestern mega nerds and purveyors of fine clothes with words on them. Raygun has been called the greatest store in the universe by Raygun. They are the most important clothing store Earth has seen since the early Mesozoic era. They specialize in timely witticisms, t-shirts, and modesty. If you breathe oxygen and wear clothes when you go places, you'll love it. And yes, this is a real ad, and Raygun is a real company with real stores in the Midwest, which is a real place. Or you can shop online at raygunsite.com. That's R-A-Y-G-U-N-S-I-T-E.com. Use promo code PewPew for free shipping and sick laser finger guns. Now back to the show. So this is funny. Okay, this is funny because I prepared two stories for today just to be safe because I'm going mm. to give you veto power over one. Okay. Um, so, Rip, I'm saying right now that John has veto power. If he, whether he chooses to or not, maybe we'll maybe we'll cut this out. I don't know. We don't <laughs> we don't always edit things. Uh, right. The the backup story takes place in Alaska, but I also worry that it's too long. Um, okay. So the one that you have veto power over because it relates to your place of work uh, is the Max Headroom incident. Oh, no, tell that story. Okay. It's great. Okay. Because uh, this is what happened. I went looking for some obscure radio or television history, uh, because originally <clears throat> we were going to have you on last week, and I had... So I used that story that I had already prepared. Um, and so that took me down a road looking for, like, a nice nugget about, like, pirate radio or pirate television. And then I was struck with a big duh, um, because you work for WGN uh, Radio, and WGN was the victim of a particularly fascinating act of video piracy, uh, one that my husband is high-key obsessed with. Mm -hmm. um, like, I told him I was going to do the story, and he was, like, without me. And I was like, you can't tell the story on the podcast because you would go full conspiracy theory. Wait, wait, wait. Is Justin more obsessed with a piece of Chicago history than you are, Natalie? Yes, but... <laughs> Because everything ties back to um, vanity because I'm a Leo. It also has to do with his birthday. Um, so it's... Cass, do you know this story? I no? don't. What is, I, I'm so Ooh, confused. It's, good. it's This is the story of the Max Headroom incident. And I texted Rip about this because I always tell him what story I'm doing on the off chance that we yeah. have overlap. Which I'm supposed to and, do and never do. <laughs> Sorry, Rip. Uh, uh, and I texted Rip and he went, he's like, oh gosh, Max Headroom. And I was like, oh no, I'm referring, 
I'm not just referring to the character and TV show of Max Headroom. And he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and I am intrigued. So, okay. Um, I d- I've never heard Max Headroom? Yes. Headroom? Max Headroom, yes. Max Headroom was a TV character. It was, uh, he was a, um, he was basically like an AI was what the character was, but he was a journalist. He was a, he was a newscaster. It sounds like a seating and- option on an airplane. Would you like Max Headroom? <laughs> Um, yes, yes, I well, would. So wait, hold on. Here's the th- here's uh, let me see. Um, Max, his origin story, the character. Uh, he began as Edison Carter, an intrepid muckraking TV reporter for Network Twenty Three, investigating the dealings of corruption or corporation in a dystopian near future. When he discovers that his own network is airing a new kind of advertisement that can literally kill viewers, Edison is captured, knocked unconscious, and has his brain downloaded so that it can be reviewed by the network's overlords. The last thing he sees is a sign hanging from an underpass that apparently reads Max Headroom uh, 2.3 meters. Um, so that's where like the for, name comes yeah, from. That makes sense. Um, I was like, what is that? Yeah. Not airplanes, Cass. Overpasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. John, did you... Did you you wouldn't have been old enough to be like watching Max Headroom, but are you familiar with the character? Yes, and if you see it, I think that most people might recognize it, or at least like what it kind of looks like. Very 80s, uh, but I don't even really know in which the, the life in which the character led, so that backstory I had no idea about. Yeah. I know about the incident. He's a fictional uh, artificial, artificial intelligence character. He was played by an actor wearing like a lot of prosthetics to make him look very like... That's right. Like lots of makeup to make him look like he was kind of like a robot, if you will, right. or very animatronic. Um, and in the show, he was a news reporter, a news broadcaster, and uh, he always had like these weird psychedelic kind of uh screens behind him. Sorry, I just um, he's played by Matt Frewer, who yeah, I just I recognize him, I love him. Oh. Sorry, I just wanted to. Uh, but yeah, so that's like kind of like the gist of of the character. Um, so let me let me t- let me paint you a picture, Cass. I know you love paint it, it Fanny. Pemberton. Uh, it's not it's not going to be a picture. I'm just telling you what date we're starting on. Cool. <laughs> uh, it's November twenty second, nineteen eighty seven. In Decatur, Illinois, mm. Justin Younger is just barely five years old, but this isn't <laughs> about him. Uh, this is four years north of baby Justin in Chicago. A mystery was about to begin. Uh, around 9 p.m. on WGN, Channel 9 News, uh, sportscaster Dan Rowan? Rowan? Rowan, yeah. Rowan? See, I'd, I, I would have looked this stuff up, but I was like, I don't need to okay. because... I, I got you. Yeah. Uh, We've Dan got Rowan our primary was, source right here. Right? <laughs> Um, was he was serving up the highlights of the Bears' recent victory over the Detroit Lions? But wait, the was Bears this when the Bears were good? Oh, should I not have said that? <laughs> You're good. It's the eighties. The Bears were really okay. Good. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, because yeah. I was gonna make a joke about how like the Bears winning wasn't the weirdest thing to be ha- <laughs> oh, like no. to happen. Yeah. Did I step all over that? I'm sorry, Nat. No, I was saying I was gonna make that joke, but I know the '85 Bears were real good, and we're in, mm-hmm. yeah. So the '80s Bears, were sports, sports. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm good at them. Uh, so that would uh, the what was weird about the broadcast was when the screen went black, 
And in place of the Chicago sportscaster, Max Headroom appeared. Or rather, a person addressed as Max Headroom appeared. They were wearing a suit and like a rubber headroom mask. Think uh, the classic Nixon mask, if you will. Um, And they're like kind of just like maniacally bouncing around in front of what appeared to be a slab of corrugated metal. Uh, being kind of spun to mimic the the computer-generated Max Headroom-looking background on the TV show. Then someone switched uplink frequencies uh, at the studio, and Max Headroom blipped away as quickly as he'd appeared. The studio zapped back on screen, and Rowan awkwardly tried to explain away the interruption uh, as, like, he said the computer took off and went wild or something like that. Um, When actually... It was what is known as a broadcast signal intrusion, which is like hacking, but like a broadcast signal. Uh, it lasted 30 seconds on, on WGN. and uh, Well, that's a lot of airtime. Mm-hmm. To, for everyone at the studio to be like, what is happening? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, if Chaz Hambone does anything weird for 30 seconds, it's an eternity. It's <laughs> never good. I Doesn't mean, just, Chaz Hambone do something weird for his entire segment? His entire all show? All three hours. It's the worst. <laughs> People would be begging for Max Headroom to join in yeah. on whatever I was doing, yes. But, like, even just thinking of, like, 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 on stage, Natalie, like, if you, like, forget a line and it's maybe half a second and you're like... Everyone knew it felt like forever. Thirty seconds on mm-hmm. broadcast. Ooh, I'm uncomfortable yeah, d- thinking about during it. During the nine o'clock news, oh, uh, prime time. Yeah, uh, behind yeah behind the scenes, studio engineers began searching the building and looking for the masked intruder because they assumed it had to be like an inside job. It had to be done from on site um, because. I'll get a little bit more into it later, but like this had never been done before <laughs> to this extent. Um, they didn't find anyone. Uh, and they were like, okay, well, I guess he's gone now back to the broadcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> almost exactly two hours later. So this is, our, this is like 9.13, 9.14 at night. So at 11.15, during an episode of Doctor Who airing on WTTW, the uh, PBS affiliate, um, Max appears again. In the, in the first hack, there had been no audio. Just why the hell is Max Headroom on the screen? This one had audio, which makes it so much weirder in all the mm. best way. Well, wait, was it the same clip that this time they just had audio or was it different? Uh, it, it seemed like they got cut off or it didn't work as well the first time like they weren't able to hack into the audio got it um and then wgd wgn course corrected fast enough that they didn't they weren't able to fix it got it um so in this time the audio is distorted and difficult to make out but like it's intentionally distorted they kind of gave him like a cartoony villain voice and um max headroom has like a very computerized voice that Mm -hmm. like kind of like glitches and so he'll be like max headroom and whatnot yeah um so it's intentionally distorted um but like by a really cheap voice distorter (laughs) 
but um, all really creepy. It's yeah, weird. Everything about it is super creepy um, because podcasting is 100% a visual medium. <laughs> uh, you you can see this with your mind's eye or also just go to our social media. I'll post it and I'll probably post a link to the video in the show notes itself. Natalie, Natalie um, mentioned earlier um, at the beginning of the episode that we have merchandise. Natalie, I think we're going to have to make a shirt or a pin or something that just said podcasting is a visual medium. <laughs> We say it in like every episode when we try to describe something. We need to work. On I mean, that. but it's true. It's a yeah. it's a visual medium for your imagination, um, <laughs> your mind's eyes. So it's hard to make out everything that uh, he says, but he calls out WGN radio sportscaster Chuck Swirsky. Uh, he calls him a freaking liberal. Um, he yells the new Coke slogan, catch the wave, while I think drinking a Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Um, he hums an approximation of the theme to the 1960s cartoon Clutch Cargo, and then references the title of the last episode of the show. He claims he, quote, just made a giant masterpiece for all the greatest world newspaper nerds, another reference to WGN, which is an abbreviation for World's Greatest Newspaper. Um Oh, and through most of this, he's waving what looks like a dildo around. <gasps> oh, no. Right. Just to really make bring home his point. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, this, I think it's a real literal F you. Yeah. Uh, his, his very clear point in all of what the <laughs> nonsense, that the seemingly nonsense that he's spouting. Chuck uh, Swirsky still is the Bulls announcer, by the way. Oh, he still guy. is a Bulls announcer. Yeah, to this day. Yeah. Uh, there's a um, there's a podcast called Endless Thread um, that did a story this past November because it was a th- they did it on the day of like on the thirty second like thirty two years from um, the incident and they have Chuck Swirsky on they interview him and they're oh, like cool. what was a uh, what was it what was it like and he's like I had not been watching the broadcast uh, and then people were like calling me. Uh, and being like, what's, well, Max Headroom said your name. And he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he thought it was like a prank. <laughs> and afterwards, he voted for every Republican just to prove that guy wrong. So <laughs> just, that was a joke. Yeah. Just <laughs> not a good one. <laughs> just a, uh, bless you, Cass. By the way, you guys like sneeze and have coughs in unison too, by the way, as I watch, uh, one of you is about to. Wait, did we just sneeze together? Stuff. It was all. It wasn't quite sneezing together, but both unable to react. We yeah. are. It's um, like I, I tell my first joke in seven minutes, and Natalie has a mouthful of liquid, and Cass is sneezing. I'm, so that's. I mean, it wasn't a good joke, but it was made even worse by the fact that neither of my friends on this thing could join. I was me. like, oh, Natalie also and I are evil clones, so mm-hmm. we don't realize that these things are happening. We were made in a right. lab. Right. Also, yeah. my fire alarm is going off now because we're preheating the oven to make French fries, and my poor husband is running around <laughs> trying to blow the smoke. Or oh, what no. would be? I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. Anyways, Max Headroom. <laughs> no, I'm glad that I'm glad I'm glad that uh, that you that it's your smoke detector because I had a moment of like, is it mine? Like, yes. Nope, that's just me. Uh, that's how he gets my attention when I'm in this in the, in the studio. <laughs> if he, yeah, he just starts burning the house down. He's like, you know what? Get out here and do, make dinner. <laughs> yeah, it's it's subtle. Uh, yes. If I hadn't if I hadn't eaten 
actually, before we recorded, there are a couple episodes that I'm literally like ducking out of frame on the Zoom call. <laughs> Right. Just ducking off off camera and shoveling food in my mouth that my husband has brought to me while we've been recording. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but back to Max, because uh, this isn't about Justin. Uh, Although he wants he to think it is. He wants, he wants it to be. <laughs> hold, hold for fire right. alarm. <laughs> yeah, hold, hold for fire alarm. This He's, is great. It's all right. It's fine. He's waving. Uh, so Max had room waving a dildo around. That's, that's where we were. Um, the camera then cuts and like Max's butt cheeks are like hanging out as he uh, as he screams, they're coming to get me and then come get me, bitch, while a woman very lazily spanks him with a fly swatter. Um, was it after- important that she was doing it lazily? Yeah, this my favorite. Uh, the best the best story on this is written from uh, Vice Motherboard by uh, a journalist, Chris Niddle. Um, I will also link to that because I highly recommend it. And most, I feel like most stories, it's from like 2013. I feel like most stories that have come out and podcasts that have talked about this incident since then, like, are just pulling from him. Yeah. Because uh, it's, uh, he, he's very fascinated by this and has done some of the best research. Um, so... If you thought that the 30 seconds of him bouncing around was bananas, this went on for a full minute and 22 seconds. Oh, with audio. And then, with audio and and dildo Spank flailing. A dildo. And yeah. a dildo. Uh, right. The signal cuts out again, and we're back to adventuring through time with a Time Lord. Uh, <laughs> I forgot this was in the middle of Doctor Who. <laughs> It almost worked for the plot line, yeah. actually. That was the ironic part. Yeah, there. I can't. You know? I don't have the quote in front of me, but they're actually literally like the quote that they come back to the doctor saying is is beautiful. Yeah, chef's I, kiss. Right. Well, <laughs> where, where did I leave my dildo in time? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly explained. That's exactly what it was. Uh, the children's shows always heavily featuring dildos. Oh, no. Um. Just like the, just like the, the f- lots of phalluses in a Disney thing, and when it says "sex in the sky" um, in Lion King, man, I didn't even, yeah, those, I didn't even tell you about Genevieve's dildo in the in Alaska. That was another <laughs> diary entry that I left out. But wait, was it really? I'm kidding. Oh my no, god! You know, you never know. She's alone up there in in the wilderness. She's her husband's I mean, gone for five weeks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in trouble for that one. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, poor, poor, poor Marsha, my mom listening to this is like, that's my great grandmother, if you don't mind. <laughs> I mean, I made a Mr. Bean joke before I knew it was your family. <laughs> I know. As soon as you. And like, I almost made a second one. <laughs> as soon as you're like, oh, that was, you know, my great grandmother. I was like, oh, God, did I say anything inappropriate or something? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <sighs> uh, sorry, Marsha. Sorry, Marsha. Uh, so, yeah, so the signal cuts out again. We're back to Doctor Who. Uh, so this was... W- what's really interesting about this, for a variety of reasons, there's a bunch of reasons, but um, they've never solved who did it. Uh, and also, like, literally a, a, a year before this happened, uh, they it was, like, the first time that a broadcast single intrusion was actually like put on the map and deemed a federal crime because like, I'm sure it was kind of always a crime by like, you would assume it was, but 
the FCC and broadcasters kind of assumed it wasn't possible uh, or like nobody had done it. Um, and a year prior to this, a uh, it's called the Captain Midnight Hack. A Basically, he was a disgruntled satellite uh, salesman. You used to be able to get HBO if you had any satellite. And then they changed the subscription process. And uh, this like satellite salesman or whatnot um, got disgruntled about it and interrupted a an HBO broadcast with basically just being like, $12.95, that's stupid. Um, <laughs> that's the gist of what it's like. Why can't these people ever interrupt broadcasts with messages, with thoughts, with like a purpose, you know, some sort of organized, you, ha- you have the time now on television, put nope. your dildo down and start talking sense. Man, well, in every like, you know, government, you know, V for Vendetta movie. It's like anytime a broadcast gets interrupted, it's like we've got our mission statement, we've got our fun yes. masks, but you know why we're here. You know, in real life execution is just not exactly not good. I agree. But but like all of those are basically inspired by the Max Headroom incident because Ooh. it was the first time those other um those other intrusions that I mentioned, that one, and then there was another one, which I don't know why I'm saying this, but Cass, I feel like you'll get a kick out of this because you went to Catholic school, um, was an interruption of Playboy TV's programming was interrupted by a religious group that just like put up a Bible verse. <laughs> See, that's, that's on point. That is They've effective. got a message. That reminds yes. me, not to d- divert too much, but have you ever seen For a Good Time Call? No. It's this... It's this lovely little movie it's so funny it's about these two women who like they start a phone sex line and they have to hire someone because they're doing so well and this girl's like oh i can do it and then they walk in on the room and she's like jesus knows what you're doing and she like loses all their client base because she's like it's really funny go watch a movie i highly recommend it <laughs> why would i watch it when i could just have you tell me the plot it's i mean perfect. i clearly did such a great job <laughs> yeah um but the max Hedrum incident was the first broadcast signal intrusion to use sound and video and it because all the other ones were literally just text on a screen um as far as we know uh and it was it was pre-recorded um it was it was done externally like it wasn't a quote-unquote inside job like the call wasn't coming from inside the studio (laughs) um which is bonkers when you think about the equipment that you need to do yeah because this was in the 80s right Um, yeah, and they did it twice. They pulled it off twice in one night. Uh, so literally yeah. like a year before. This is, it's it's banana time. Because like um, clearly the first time, like they didn't know what was going on, but they're on like high alert, right? So like they would at I least. I mean, they didn't. think, but. What? Yeah. I guess I don't know how would think, but I, I don't, They probably don't talk channel to channel all that much, right? Yeah. It's not like we have like a, like a bat phone system or something where it's like. <laughs> Be on the watch, look out. Plus, it, like you said, Natalie, it was the first time anyone had done yeah. this. It's not like you're able to react quickly. And I'm sure most people, it's late at night, right? Like it's a smaller staff. Mm-hmm. You're lucky there's an engineer there to flip the channel or whatever they have mm-hmm. to do to make it better. But Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like especially for WTTW, like WGN did did like switch the uplink fast enough that quickly, yeah. like, like they were able, they didn't know what the hell was going on, but they were able to... To course correct pretty quickly. Is this a movie? Um, yeah. Hmm? Has this become a movie? 
No, but it's on. There's so many things that Justin's like, write me this screenplay or script for. Like, I feel is, like we have two, maybe three solid right? movies just from this episode alone. <laughs> but we demand royalties. Uh, right. So, um,. Before everyone was like, so this is, this isn't technically freaking, but like, if you understand kind of what freaking was, you can kind of see like the trajectory before everyone was like hacking into the mainframe. Um, they were freaking, uh, freaking is a combination of phone and freak. Uh, it freak, it refers to the like illegal accessing of phone systems. Mm. So, um, so it's like fracking, but for phones. They called yes. it, it was called fracking. Some people called it fracking for a while, too. Really? And I'm like, good pivot away from that. But to freaking, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, literally people would hack. It's Freaking is more of hacking, like, analog uh, devices. So, like, yeah. they would, people would mimic the uh, tones of phone systems, like the tones that the phone systems use to route calls and stuff, mm. um, and identify payment in order to avoid having to pay for, like, expensive calls. There's... Collect. I can't remember where it is in the timeline, but there's somebody called the White House, and so that was like a big freaking incident. And somebody just like got through to the Oval Office without like hitting the switchboard or something. Oh my like god! That. Um, so that's like another big freaking event. Uh, and so yeah, basically the FCC like thought that they had broadcast and shit locked down. Um. And then they kind of panicked after the Captain Midnight broadcast because, like, if people can hack the national broadcast system, that would be a big potential. That'd be no good. That's not good. Yeah. No bueno. Like that's like that's a national. That's an emergency. Um, uh, but it was, yeah. So the FBI and the FCC took on the case, but they. Uh, as like a new federal crime, the perpetrators could have faced a maximum of like a hundred k fine and up to a year in prison, um, or both. Um, but nobody was ever arrested and charged. And there's a lot of like, there's a lot of theories about. Like one theory is that it was like the FCC does know who it is, did find them, and were like they didn't want to give them the publicity and like be yeah. like this. It's a thing that you can do. Um, that there's, uh, there's a theory that it was, like, a, a shitty band from Northwest Indiana was trying to get, like, airtime or something, and they were gonna do one of their songs or something, but then... But first we gotta the, do the dildo thing, guys, and then yes. we'll get to the... We wasted trust all me. the time on the dildo! Trust me, trust me. No, that they, like, freaked out and knew that they would be, they'd be able to be identified if they did their actual music. No. Or there's, yeah. a, there's a whole bunch of theories. It's really interesting. I recommend reading the Vice uh, Motherboard um, article. The, but the story, like, so it was 1987, and the story um, of the hi hijack would be, like, eclipsed, I think, the next night um, Harold Washington passed away. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, and so it wasn't as heavily covered. I also think that, Remind like, our listeners news... who Harold Washington is. <sighs> I have to Google it. First black He's... mayor in Chicago. Oh, okay, all right. I was, I was like, like, I should know this. Because there's Harold Washington <laughs> yeah. Square downtown, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Harold Washington named after him. Yeah. Died of a heart attack while he was in City Hall when he was uh, oh, no. in his office, yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that was those were on back-to-back -back nights. That's crazy. Yeah, it was either... It was, it was, Back to back nights or back to back news cycles, um, but right. I think I think they were I think it was like the next night, um, 
And yeah, so the only real reason that like it came back into the like, I don't know, zeitgeist with such force mm. outside of the fact that there's been a lot of like TV and film that have have referenced it. And that's is like where like the V for Vendetta and like the mask, like all that shit kind of stems from um, is because in 2006, uh, somebody found a somebody's mom had a VHS recording. They had taped that episode of Doctor Who. And so they had the intrusion and they uploaded it to YouTube and then posted it to Reddit, to the Chicago subreddit. Um, and everyone was like, wait, what? Yeah, right. So I like there are people in that subreddit who are like, I'm 99% sure I know who did this. I was in the Freaker community in the 80s. So highly recommend the that sounds really kinky. article. And I was in the, the Freaker, Freaker community. community. It was freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hate myself. <laughs> The so highly recommend the Vice article, but also the R Chicago uh, subreddit, and if you can like find the actual uh, the actual story, it's like the That's thread awesome. of people trying to like figure it out. It's it's like beautiful. I love a mystery. You know, yes. if anyone's gonna figure it out, this this national mystery, it's gonna be a subreddit. Yes, <laughs> that's who's on it always, dude. They're doing like the it is. I don't know. It's a ra- it's a very deep rabbit hole of people doing some drawing some very interesting connections. People in broadcast talking about like the equipment you would have needed in the eighties, how things would have like you would have like where geographically you would have had to maybe be in order to like get in yeah. order to be able to like to do it right you're gonna, yeah you'd, it'd have to be somewhere close to some of an antennas and as you can tell i'm speaking out of my shoes right now so i should ask some of my wgn engineer friends if they know well yeah yeah because well, this, this i'll report back the studio was at uh was at bradley place yeah. and but they the antennas are on hancock aren't they they, yeah, they I were, think so. I think they were in the 80s. I'm going to speak with authority and say, yep, that's what they are. <laughs> uh-huh. that's absolutely. Yep. Well, and and yeah. with, with the technology at the time, you would think it's either it's limited, so it's going to be very easy to figure out where you would have to be to get this to work, or it's limited, so you would never be able to figure it out because it's so limited right like you're either yeah. it's not yeah it's not like just sticking wire hangers in the air though you have to transmit yeah. an audio video signal which is way harder in 1987 than it yeah. is yeah. in 2020 so um it's cool science man. but listeners um you heard it here first we've solved the max Hedrum incident and it was done by uh seven or eight year old john hansen and his mother <laughs> right right and i was gonna get to who killed my great-grandmother but they cut me off (laughs) that was the message that that was the message message. i had it i was ready to go (laughs) i was gonna expose that truth and you shouldn't have uh, started with the dildo bit man i shouldn't i shouldn't have and really we should talk to marcia about why she allowed it (laughs) but that's that was actually Genevieve's. that was he said ellie and the dildo on the train it's full circle we got there He's like, this is what she loved most when I was gone. I gotta stop. This is my great-great-grandmother we're talking about. 
Ah, God sure, rest your soul. We're right. sharing. No, not even close. We're sharing some some real personal history from John Hansen <laughs> on this right. episode. Right. The diary contains contain some unsavory things that any person in 1870 said about other people. So uh, she had it coming. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyways, God bless her. God rest her. Uh. But yeah, so that's uh, I I I kind of like wrestled with doing the story because I was like, there's no way John doesn't know of it at least. Yeah, it's more like I knew of it, and I okay. didn't know all the details. So that's what's always fun about this stuff. You learn a little bit more. It's great. Well, we were talking yeah. about even if you like whatever. know a little bit of it, we know it in passing. You know, detail. I heard it ten years ago, hadn't reheard it, but all I know is Mark G and Greco, who is a sports guy at ABC Seven now. He was at NBC Channel Five locally for a while, and he would have a fake interruption of a sports broadcast every now and then that he set up. And then for a while, people thought it was actually Max Headroom again, but it was just Gene Greco yucking it up with a fake Max Headroom incident every now and then. So, uh, yeah, cool stuff. I love when we can get niche history and personal history. Um, what a, what a, I'm still shook from the reveal. Like, (laughs) what? I know. You oh, mean man. from the I, reveal that John Hansen is Max Headroom? Yeah, I yes. mean, I never yeah. saw that coming. <laughs> oh, the oh the mm-hmm. the great great grandma thing. Oh no, yeah, I knew yeah. that the whole time. <laughs> I knew that the whole. I yeah. could tell. No, it was fun to tell. I've never really told that story, and uh, it you know even though podcast is a visual medium, <laughs> I got to watch you guys laugh at or not laugh, but shocked by it, and it paid off. It's like telling like the best stand up joke. It's like, can I actually? shock two people with a story yeah. well, so i'm glad i was able to do it which is why it's frustrating that this is not a visual medium because i feel like you <laughs> dropped this bomb and natalie and i are silent but we're like so we're expressive but we just are yeah. shocked and can't talk so you're like and that was me and it's just <laughs> crickets yeah. no we're freaking out over here <laughs> yeah cass is cass is doing like a full fozzy bear and i was going full kermit so <laughs> <laughs> So do with that information what you will. Oh, um, I'm glad that we made this episode all about you, John. Yeah, oh, thank you, guys. That's what I expected. That was in my rider when I agreed to yeah, come yeah, yeah. on. Mm-hmm. It became centered around me. Oh, yeah, you and me. I appreciate you guys. But I when appreciate we, you guys following. We did make when him we work hired a you on bit. cameo. <laughs> we hired John on cameo to. It was really expensive to get him for for an hour. Yeah, uh, yeah. and I only tell the story of my great great grandmother. <laughs> I don't care whose birthday it is. I don't give a shit. Hey, John, Here, can you say happy birthday to my mom? Absolutely not. Sit down. Buckle no. up. Oh, that's nice that you still have a mom. My great great grandma. <laughs> let me tell you, murdered maybe by her husband, maybe not in 1878. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, well, well, we did make you work still because you came up with the title of the episode. So yeah, one less thing yeah. for Which us I've- to do. Yes, thank you. I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I love it. Well, this was fun. This was sweet. Thank you so yes. much for coming on. We appreciate it. This was, again, it's so much fun to get personal history. Thank you for sharing your history with us. No problem. And- the rest of my apartment is burned to the ground, but we are, <laughs> we got this episode in time. <laughs> Uh, as always, listeners, you can uh, find all of the the visual pieces that I don't know why you would need them since podcasting is such a visual medium. Uh, you can find lots of visual aids and other fun bits and beats at at Shared Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, Cass, what can they do with them? You know what, guys? You can email any and all of those to our email address. 
sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Natalie, did I nail go it? Go ahead and go ahead and correct my family story, people. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I dare I, you. I have the receipts. <laughs> yes. I have her diary. <laughs> Just Sorry. like just like his uh, great great grandmother, he will get petty with you, uh, <laughs> but over an email instead of the one letter a year he gets yes. to send. <laughs> um, and as we always as we always sign off, share, share you later. later. <laughs> it never works. Good golly, we are just so humbled and dazzled that we had hashtag local celebrity John Hansen on the podcast this week. You can catch John Hansen hosting The Jam on CW26 and also on WGN Radio. The Jam is live on CW26 weekdays at 9am, 11am, and 2pm. All of these times are central. You can follow The Jam at The Jam TV on Insta and Twitter. No spaces in that. And you can follow John at John Hansen TV on those channels as well. That is John with no H and Hansen spelled S-E-N. Thank you again so much, John, for joining us. We hope that your apartment didn't burn to the ground, that those fries were delicious, and that your husband forgives us. Share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.